The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Dugout Nation, welcome to the Dugout CEO Podcast. Excited about our guest today. Today, I am joined by Richard Rector, who is a former CEO of Healthcare Staffing, an accomplished business leader with a track record of winning everywhere he's gone. He's a people-first leader that puts the interests of others above himself. Richard, welcome to the Dugout CEO. Casey, it's good to be here. Yeah, super glad to have you, but I got to remind you, Richard, to start. This is called the dugout CEO, not the sideline CEO. So we can't talk about Georgia football and all those national championships. So you promise? I'll try. Okay. Well, good deal. Well, we've we've known each other a long time, and you're just one of those top guys that I know I could ever call. You would show up and ask for a piece of advice, and you would deliver. You're just an amazing guy. So I'm so glad that our listeners are going to be able to get to know you a little bit more and share some of that wisdom. Well, it's an honor to be here, Casey. And uh, yeah, we've We've walked some valleys and some mountaintops together, so here we, we go. Sh- we sure have. Well, tell me about your baseball background. I know we've been to a bunch of Braves games and talked baseball all the time and all that kind of stuff, but like, what about like playing baseball, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I have to admit that I'm purely a fan. I played Little League, and, and let's just say I wasn't a natural. I was not a natural. I think I played for three years, and I think I got two hits. So then. So how did you become a big fan of the game when, you know, you didn't play it all that long? Well, I mean, Casey, growing up, I was always diminutive. I know I've kind of expanded in my adult years, but I was always too slow, too short, too whatever. And But I was always a huge fan of baseball, basketball, and football. And it just was a passion. And you're, you're correct. I, as you know, I was a season ticket holder at the new Braves Stadium for the first three years and, uh, and it was just fun to go watch and i think that a lot of times baseball is a is an excellent example of life you know it, playing a team sport some days you can knock it out of the park you go three for four and then you know you you go oh for 20 and you just keep getting back into the batter's box and uh, i think in business we have to do the same thing yeah well, let's talk about the Braves a little bit. I think they're a hot topic, right? World Series champs a couple of years ago. They seem to be doing all the right things. I think they're in first place at the time that we're recording this. Looking back at it, we had all those down years, and then it just got good. It seemed like really fast. Being a Braves fan, what do you think the thing was that just kind of, I don't know, got them back to that level? Well, I think part of it's chemistry, getting the right guys you know, to, to play together. And again, I think that's represented in business. It's getting the right people in the right seats to really make things take off, but and you're correct. I heard last night, I think we're 25 or 26 and 11, and that's the fastest we've gotten to 25 or 26 games in the history of the Braves. This is the best start they've ever had. And uh, and you watch them play, and they, they play with passion, they, but they play as a team. You know, if somebody screws up, they cover for them. And it's crazy to me because when they won the World Series, they had Freddie Freeman. Last year, they had Dansby Swanson, right? And both of those guys are gone now, and they're still winning. 
and it kind of shows me, Richard, and I don't know what it shows you, but it's like they're just one guy in a roster of 27 people. And it's crazy to see one of the best players leave and then still keep winning. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think that they, they, they trade and they look for talent, but they also they look for an attitude. And I talk about this in my consulting all the time. You can hire a skill. But you can't, you can't teach an attitude. And uh, this new catcher that they've got, oh my gosh. I mean, he can throw anybody out from his knees. He's adding phenomenally. You know, Acuna got hurt, but he's, he's battling his way back. I mean, I think it's their attitude. They got a bunch of guys, and it feels like whether it's baseball or it's business, they, they just wake up every day wanting to do it, and playing the game doesn't feel like work. You know, you've risen to the level of a CEO of a giant business. What have you found regarding people in general of your highest performers? What were those skill sets or those traits or characteristics that made them great at what they did? I always looked for passion. I looked for high energy. I looked for honesty and integrity. Those were the things that you can't trade. They either have it or they don't. You know, I'll, I'll tell you that one of my best hires ever was a guy that I hired as director of operations, promoted him to chief operating officer. He had no experience in the staffing industry. He had no experience in healthcare. Probably one of my best hires ever because he had the passion, he had the drive, he had the integrity, and he was curious. He was always asking questions about how something worked. He didn't ask why we did it that way. He wanted to know, you know, what made that work and, you know, what would make it better. And those are the types of people that will take you to the next level. And I think so many times executives get in the trap of when they go to hire, they're looking for somebody that can bring a book of business with them. Well, nine times out of 10, you're going to get about half of that book. And then what do you have? Do they have the passion and do they have the drive to take it? and do it again, you know, and a lot of them don't. They're like, oh, I've already done that once, you know, and we make the mistake of taking people in, out in the field that are producers, and what do we do? We promote them to management, and they don't have a clue how to manage, and then you wonder why the wheels fall off, and you might, you know. So let's talk about that. I want to talk about the management side in a second, but the passion and drive, how do you find out in an interview process if they have it, and then first 30 days, whatever it looks like, spring training per se, right? They come, they join in 30 days. How do you know in the interview process before you bring them on that they're the right fit? And then how do you know quickly if what they said and what they were portraying was the real deal? Passion's contagious. You can't hide it. So the way they answer questions and the questions that they ask you will tell you a lot about where their focus is. You know, we always make the joke that you don't go into an interview going, so how many days off do we get? You know, that's, that, that tells you a little bit about their insight. But the types of questions they ask you about what made you successful or what makes the company successful and just the way they interact with other people. You, you watch and see how they treat others. I've always liked to have interviews at, at a restaurant because I like to see how they interact with the wait staff. Are they treating them with respect? Or are they treating them like a servant? 
I, I was known that healthcare staffing as the CEO that would take the, take the garbage out. If that's what needed to be done, I mean, if I walked through and saw something that needed to be done, I did it. I'll give you an example that's not of me. My daughter and son-in-law go to Passion City Church. And he said he went into the men's restroom one day and there was a guy down underneath the, the sink and he was wiping up a puddle of water and stuff and he backed out and threw it away and spoke to David and, and went on his way. It was Dan Cathy. Wow. The CEO, Chick-fil-A, he saw something that needed to be cleaned up and he cleaned it up. And nobody, he, nobody probably saw him do that. It was by chance. Somebody they, they walked in and as he was walking, as he was backing out from underneath the, the sinks and, uh, and it was, it was no big deal. And he, he just spoke and went on, but that kind of character, that kind of leadership is contagious. If they see it at the top, they'll emulate it. The good ones will emulate it. And that's what you're looking for. People that will take on that mantle and take it to the next level. And there's leadership and then there's management. Are they the same kind of thing? Or are there differences between being a good leader and being a good manager? Management is tactical. And leadership is leading by example. It is passion. It is caring. I will tell you that, you know, when I took over healthcare staffing, it, it had been grown by the founder. So he kind of ran it like a family. And the first thing I had to do was build trust with all of my associates. I had to build trust with all of the clients and because their relationship, this was very much a relationship driven business. And I had one of the CEOs that called me the new guy for like a year. It was over a year. I was just the new guy. And we were at a huge conference and somebody said, hey, Denise just asked if Richard was coming. And I'm like, I got a name. She, she called me by name. And I told her when we met, I said, Denise, I'll never be Bill, but I'll be the best Richard you've ever met. So was it her learning if she could trust you or if you were the real deal? What was it? Both. Okay. Both. Was, was I going to you know stick around? But could I be trusted? Because Bill was ethical to the highest degree and he was trustworthy and he had spent time building that trust and a lot of ceos and and upper management executives get so focused on the bottom line they don't feel like they've got time for something that doesn't have an roi and i tell you that everything has an roi some is more obvious than others and going back to trust is that something that as a leader you give to other people or they earn your trust? What does that look like? I trust people until they prove that they can't be trusted. I, I don't, I don't hold back until there's a reason to. I'm always watchful of, you know, are, are they doing what they said they were going to do? You know, are they who they say they are? And especially as a CEO, one of my concerns was my my regional and area managers, did they treat people the same way when I wasn't there as when I was? And in some cases, the answer was yes. And in some cases, the answer was no. And then you have to listen and discern. And then you have to coach. And that's where the, you, you have to trust but verify, the old Ronald Reagan saying. And is that more the management side of it, the trust but verify kind of thing? Yes, sir. Absolutely. 
So management you meant was more tactical. So what does it actually look like? And you were talking earlier about salespeople or people that were out in the field and then they're in management and some people don't make it. Just because they're good at one thing doesn't mean they're good at management. What does a good manager look like? A, a good manager is first and foremost, a good communicator. They know how to set expectations in a way that everybody understands them. They know how to communicate in a way that is not threatening, but is, is serious enough that people are listening closely. And a good manager, we always talk about key performance indicators, right? KPIs. And, and I, I think that, you know, I think we, we really ought to think of KPIs as, you know, do we keep them motivated? You know, do we keep them hungry? You know, do, are we as, as management putting the right incentives in place that motivate them and, and, and excite them about coming to work every day? You know, one of your questions to me that we had talked about earlier was, you know, let me make sure I get this right. Oh, what are, what's one of the things that I do that might be contrary to, you know, the marketplace? And I will tell you that you reward. If you reward your people that are performing, and notice I didn't just say pay because pay is a component of it, but if you reward them and, and give them incentives that are important to them, right? I mean, not everybody wants a gift card to Longhorns or, or whatever, you know? Be involved in their lives. Know what's important to them. And, you know, when one of their kids is going to be in the playoffs, make sure that you've talked to them about having time off to go follow their kid. You know, they may say that there's a, a concert that's coming to town that, you know, oh, they, you know, you just can't get tickets for them. Go get tickets for them. I mean, we, we all have connections. I mean, I tell people all the time, I, my, my only skill is networking. You know, I, I'm not a good, you know, you don't want me balancing the books. That's why I paid a, a CFO to do that. You know, I am good with numbers, but you don't want me, you know, balancing the books every week or, or doing payroll. Do what, do what, you know, comes natural to you. And to me, it was listening to them and getting to know them because then there's a connection there that when somebody comes along and says, I'd like to talk to you about an opportunity and they go, no, thank you. I'm happy here. You know, I have somebody that, that I can trust and I have somebody that cares about me and has shown it. I've gone to more funerals than you would ever want to imagine because it was important to be there. Sure. And looking back at, and that's why you're that guy that can be trusted, right? Because you are the person that will show up in a minute if anybody needs anything. Now, is that hard as a leader of a, of an organization where you have you know, hundreds of employees, like, can you actually be there for everybody and do everything and get to know people? But what is, what does that look like? No, a lot of times you, you have to, you know, find people that will, will stand in for you. I will tell you it's hard on at home because when you've got plans at home and all of a sudden somebody has a crisis and you need to be there, you know, I'm, I'm blessed, you know, I'm a private pilot. And so, I mean, I, I'd go get an airplane and I'd, I'd, I'd go to them and, and, and just show up when they weren't even expecting it. But that's what I think endeared me to them was that I did show up. I did care. I think it's interesting because you, you use the word show up and now we live in this world where show up means, hey, let me send you a quick text message or let me ping you on social media. 
And I remember a buddy of mine lost his mom a while ago. And he just said all he really wanted was somebody to show up at his door. He didn't want texts. He didn't want calls. He, he just wanted somebody to show up. And I remember you doing that for me one time where you just showed up and we sat out in the barn and we just chatted for a little while. Why is that so hard to do now? Why are we losing that type of personal connection? Not everybody, but I think a lot of people, we live in this transactional environment. How do we as leaders, how did you as a leader create that relationship type you know, thing with people? You have to make it important. You know, it's, it's prioritizing and we do it every day. My wife always, you know, takes pot shots at me when I say, well, I, you know, I didn't get to that. And she goes, you get to what's important, whatever it is, you know, so we prioritize and what's important gets attention. It gets done and you just have to make it important. Mm -hmm. It's a decision. It's yeah. a choice. And going back to your kind of thing, you mentioned, Hey, the thing that you're really good at is networking. That's kind of your superpower. I've seen it the way you add value to others, connect others. It's amazing. So that was your top thing as a CEO. But how did you build your business where you got to spend the majority of your time doing that while associating yourself with other people that can kind of do everything else? Because I see so many business people, they're doing things, maybe they're good at it, but they don't like doing it. And that leads to burnout or they're just not good at it, but they don't have anybody else that can get it done. How did you structure your day and your week and your company where you got to spend the majority of time doing only what you could do, what you were really good at? You hire the right people, you give them the tools that they need to do their jobs, and you empower them to go do it. And then you, again, trust will verify. You don't just walk away and go, okay, it's done. But until somebody shows you that they can't do it, keep giving them more and, and trusting that they'll get it done. And like I said, and then you go back and, and, and double check and, you know, I would say 90% of the time that works. The other 10% becomes an issue that you just, you have to deal with. Hmm. Really good. Now let's bring up golf for a second. I know you're a heck of a golfer. We've shared a couple of rounds together. So in baseball, you got swinging and misses, right? Things that, you know, you missed the pitch or you could have done it over in golf. You got mulligans looking back at it, Richard, are there any mulligans looking at the way you built your business that you're like, you know what? That's a good learning lesson for me. Or, hey, I, you know what? I wish I would have had a do-over there. My, I guess my do-over was I, I joined healthcare staffing and I, I made that career mistake of, you know, following the legend. Bill Dallas had built this up and they always tell you, don't follow the legend, follow the guy that followed the legend because he's going to fail. I was blessed that, number one, I, I try to not have an ego. And so my first six months, I followed Bill around like a, like a puppy and just, just absorbed everything that he could give me. My do-over would be that I grew healthcare staffing from 40 million a year in revenue to right at 70 million a year in revenue in about four years. And the parent company that had hired me to come in and take over for Bill had bought the company for, I want to say $12 million. And two and a half years later, they sold it for $26 million. Pretty good return on their investment. My do-over would have been, I would have really preferred to have had a buyout with the other, with my former company, because we got bought by 
a publicly traded company that was coming out of bankruptcy. And this is where you trust but verify. And they said all the right things coming in. You know, we want to, we want to, you know, you run the company. All we want to do is just, you know, benefit from the way you're growing the company. Just keep doing what you're doing and let's get to a hundred million. And we were on a run rate to do that. But I saw early on that they were going to start making changes that were going to hurt the company. And my do-over would have been to either convince my other parent company to sell to somebody else because we had two other offers on the table. Never worked that far off. Within two years of healthcare staffing being bought by a publicly traded company, they went from 70 million to 30 million. We were debt free and the, the service on that debt was a million dollars a quarter. Well, I was only throwing off $900,000 a quarter. Over leverage. We, we, were, we, were, we were running short every quarter. And so they wanted to raise our rates. Well, that's great. But most of my clients were nonprofit. And they, they were they were running on razor thin margins, you know. Then they wanted to add fees to our associates. When I got there, we had nine hundred associates. When I left, we had a little over two thousand associates. So we had dough. And to take it, to double it in that short a time, looking back at it, what were the strategic moves you made to build that business? I built relationships with other entities that that knew my clients. And so I, I had a built-in referral process, if you, if you will. So Richard, I've seen the way that you, you know, operate businesses and you lead people. So we have people that are listening to this right now. They're leaders, they're coaches, they're business owners, they're CEOs. What's one big piece of advice you would want to you know, share with your younger self or somebody else that is in a leadership position today? I think it would be to spend more time in the field. And getting to know the processes. I mean, one of the things I did at healthcare staffing, first week I was there, I heard how horrible their payroll system was. So I sat down and processed payroll and the whole staff was just stunned that I would do that. I think I needed to do more of that. I think I also should have focused on everybody has the, the, the bottom 10% of their staff, whether you have 10 people or you have a thousand people, you've got that bottom 10% and that's your weak link. That's where you're vulnerable. And you need to either train them up or in baseball terms, trade them up, mm. you know? And, uh, and I think I, I probably spent more time letting them churn than I should have. And that affects the, the, the whole culture. How do you find that bottom 10% and identify it and either train them up or trade them out? Trust me, they are easily identifiable by what either they don't do or what they don't know. And you will hear, if you're listening, you will hear staff talking about, you know, he didn't do what or, you know, who they had to go behind to fix. And you have to be sensitive to that and say, here's an opportunity. Let's either get a more training. And I, I do consulting today. And a lot of times companies will call me and ask me to go work with a specific individual and give them feedback and, uh, or a sp specific group of individuals and give them feedback. Well, it seems a lot like baseball. It's not hard to figure out who your bottom 10% are. You got to either watch the game or read the stat sheet or maybe a little bit of both. Well, because there's if, a reason why Grissom's back in Winnetta. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and he's one, probably not performing at the level they need him to perform at right now, but what? they got to get him 
back to where he can be comfortable and develop and he's young. And then they're going to send him right back when he's ready. I remember Kyle Schwarber with the Cubs, uh, World Series hero. He got sent back to the minor leagues the next year. And then I think he won the home run derby last year and he played in the World Series. And he got sent back down because I think they realized they were watching the games. They were reading the stat sheets and they said, you can't develop in the big leagues. There's too much pressure. So they send them down. They got him a coach, kind of like what you do with companies now. You work one-on-one, you equip them, and then you either train them up or trade them out. I think that's really good. That's it. Put them in an environment where they can be successful because that will create the confidence that when they come back, they will be successful. What type of environments do people thrive in? I think when they're not worried about their job, you know, they're, they're not worried that I, I've got it. They're doing things out of desperation versus giving them enough rope to sell rope, right? And, uh, and giving them the encouragement to take a chance, take a risk. And you're not going to bust them if they're trying. I'm going to bust somebody if they're sitting back going, oh, well, I knew that wasn't going to work. Well, what did you do to, you know, affect the chain, if anything? So good. So piggybacking on Grissom, I was watching the Braves, what, Saturday night. He was playing shortstop. And then my wife, Connie, and I went to the AAA game on Sunday. And there he was playing shortstop. (laughs) How do you handle losses as a leader or when things don't go your way, where you have that setback? How are you able to keep a positive mentality and not let that stuff get to you? Because I can imagine you're in the big leagues on Saturday night. And on Sunday, you're getting a turkey sandwich after the game. And on Saturday night, you were having filet mignon. Like, how do you how do you do that? Every level, especially in business, you have to check your ego. You, you just you have to, and you have to say, I'm going to do the best I can, and let the chips fall where they may. But then I'm going to learn from it. You know, I'm I'm you know, I'm going to do things differently if I didn't get the results that I wanted. Because if we keep doing the same thing, you know, the same, you know you're going to get the same results. Sure. You know, but it's an ego thing. You, you have to be able to swallow your pride. I will tell you, we lost our largest client six weeks after the buyout. And I don't know if you've ever been through a publicly traded, you know, purchase, but there's due diligence out the wazoo. And they immediately came to me and said, when did you know it? And I told them, I told them exactly when I knew it. And uh, they chose to not believe me and they went to the client and the client confirmed that I, they, you know, the client said, you, you're dealing with one, one of the most honest guys that she'd ever dealt with. What he told you was exactly right. Well, I had to check my ego because I'd lost a $40 million account annually. You know, I mean, it was huge and uh, no, I wasn't that big, but it was probably 30. And, and I had to continue building. Well, guess what? I mean, when I stepped away and started something new, they were the first ones to come to us. Wow. You know, and it's because we treated them right during that separation period. We did everything we could to make sure payroll was done, that benefits were done, that we were communicating. And we knew we were losing them. There was no doubt. You know, there was no. But then two years later, who did they come to to get help? So. It does come back to pay dividends. It might not be immediate. Now, before we leave, you asked me, you know, who was my hero in baseball or did I have a favorite? And you know I'm from Texas, so you know it's got to be Noah Ryan. 
And uh, I will tell you that Barbara and I have been married about a year. I was working for Union Carbide and uh, we had these great seats at the Astrodome back when the Astrodome was the eighth wonder of the world. And we go to a, a game, Nolan's pitching. We're in the seventh inning and my wife goes, this is so boring. That other team hasn't even gotten a hit. And the guy sitting next to us, I see him smile. He kind of glances our way and then he looks away. And they're like, well, honey, let me explain what a no-no really means. And we didn't see the no-hitter. He, he pitched a one-hitter, but it was pretty exciting, except for Barb. Gosh, and what? Nolan Ryan threw, what, seven no-hitters, something like that? But I think another 10 or 12 one-hitters? Unbelievable. One-hitters. That's yeah. correct. They don't make them like that anymore. And uh, yeah, the game and is he would nine innings. He would pitch nine innings. He'd pitch 120 pitches. You know, I mean, he was he was a machine. Yeah. So, well, Richard, what are you up to now? Who are you helping? What type of stuff are you doing? And then how would somebody get a hold of you? Well, the easy way to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. That that has all my contact information. I am consulting with a, a, a few clients. I will be honest with you. What I'm most excited about right now is I'm about two weeks away from taking my commercial check ride to get my commercial pilot's license. Not sure what I'm going to do with it, but I, I, I've i set up my DPE, my pilot's examiner, and I'm going to do the check ride in about two weeks. And then I'll do a multi-engine add-on after that. And then we'll just see where it goes from there. But I'm uh, still consulting with the companies that want to grow. I think that's been my gift. Everywhere I've gone, we've been able to expand territories and, and grow profits. And that's what it's all about. Well, I'm going to reserve our spot at the Augusta National Airport so we can fly there next year. And what, third round, fourth round? I don't know where you're going to take me to next year's Masters, Richard, but I will happily fly in a plane with you. You got it, brother. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks, Richard, for joining us on the Dugout CEO. Thanks, Chasey. Dugout Nation, what a show with Richard. It was so cool to get his perspective as a CEO and learn how he has accomplished so much over his career. Here are my big three takeaways that I learned from Richard Rector. Number one, hire for attitude and passion first. Attitude is critical in team success. Hire for passion, high energy, honesty, and integrity. It's more important than simply hiring based on skills. Passion, it's contagious. It can be observed through learning the way people answer questions, the way they ask questions, and the way they treat others. Number two, leadership and management, they're two totally different things. Leadership is more about casting vision, generating buy-in, and people have to see a passion for what it is that you're doing. Always lead by example, care for your people, because that's what leadership is all about. Management, it's more tactical. It requires good communication, setting clear expectations, and motivating and incentivizing your team members while keeping them engaged and hungry for success. Number three, networking. It's a superpower. Not everyone's good at it, but you have to have someone in your company or your organization who is a power networker. It's not about getting things from others. It's about doing things for others and being someone that others can count on. It's about getting to know people, who they are, where they want to go, and being a trusted resource to help them get what they want. If that means you can profit from it or it can be a win-win, great. But don't look at what other people can do for you. Look at what you can do for other people. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP at what you do. Sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip 
each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to CaseyCavell.com or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app. 